It's also Wednesday, the final hour, and you know what that means. It's left, right, and center with Jeffrey Schlemmer and Robert Metz. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello, Jim. I thought that uh, this morning um, there's something I would like to hear you fellas discuss, because I don't believe we've done this, and if we have, it was a long time ago. Uh, uh, Minister Al Palladini was on this morning, Minister of Economic Development, Trade, and Tourism, but he was taken to task a little bit out of his ministry by some of our callers about uh, uh, health care spending in Ontario. A couple of elements to the discussion. One was, uh, as he pointed out, the Harris government has actually spent more money than they had promised to spend on health care. Um, if there are shortfalls, they attribute it to the federal government. Uh, they expect now to spend $18.5 billion on health care this year. Uh, the liberal counter budget, whatever you want to call it, the liberals had suggested they would have spent less than that, actually, as it turns out. Uh, but that's really neither here nor there because they're not in government now. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, Ontario is spending more money than ever before on health care. And problems with delivery and so on are exactly that. They're problems with delivery. There are other problems in the system, but it's not a money problem per se. We also had people phoning, a number of people phoned, and were concerned about the perception of the wealthy getting preferential treatment. In this case, particularly uh, people with political connections, that they may get special treatment. Minister Palladini says, no, it's not so. But he did acknowledge, and I think most people would, if you have a close personal relationship with your doctor, and if your doctor is, uh, has some pull in the medical community, and some do and some don't, but if you had a, that kind of relationship with, with your doctor and he or she had that kind of pull, there are certainly situations where they might be able to, you know, move you along a little quicker than normal. But that's not an institutional thing. It's not a systemic thing. That's a personal thing. Uh, but other than that, uh, um, Minister Palladini made the point that there really is no preferential treatment in Ontario. Some people have suggested in the past that, that that's a mistake we've made, that we should be able to buy preferential treatment. And, and here's the reason, before people say, wait a minute, just, well, just, you know, the, the rich are going to get ahead of it. Here's the theory behind it, and Bob, you can correct me if I'm wrong. The theory behind it is that if you said to someone, listen, we've got access to an MRI, and you need it, and, uh, but you've got to wait for four weeks. And he said, I don't want to wait four weeks. I'll pay, I'll give you $10,000. I want it done today. The theory is that we should do that because two things happen. One, that fellow gets attended to right away, which is fine. The second is we've got an extra $10,000 to put into the system to buy more MRI machines for people who can't afford them. Now, the counter-argument, of course, is that, well, all that means is the rich are going to get preferential treatment over the rest of us. And it uh, doesn't matter what they pay, you know, I still have as much right to get the MRI as the guy uh, with the $10,000 in his wallet. So those are the two sides. One says that a two-tier system ultimately benefits everybody. The, it benefits the people who can access the more expensive tier immediately, but it benefits everybody else because, in theory anyway, all of that money goes back into the system to provide better care for everybody. Jeff, I'm going to ask you, is there something wrong with that? Yeah, well, I guess the first problem is that uh, if you have a two-tier system, then the people who are taking advantage of the upper tier lose interest in maintaining the lower tier. Uh, right now, when, you, when we're all in the same boat, theoretically, then there's going to be more political support amongst um, wealthy and uh, upper-middle class people for maintaining good services uh, when they know that their kids may have to access those services. But if you have 
a hospital for the wealthy and a hospital for everybody else, then the wealthy people don't have the buy-in to the uh, hospital for everyone else. And historically, what we see is when that happens, then funding goes down for those for the hospital for everybody else. Uh, because, again, there's just no uh, incentive for wealthy people to continue to support them. So what you end up with is not only a two-tier system, but a, a system where the tiers are dramatically different. Bob, uh, you mentioned a moment or two ago that you support the idea. What's good about it? Well, just to first address Jeff's point, I don't think it's an issue that the upper tier loses interest in maintaining the lower tier because it's a matter of taxation. They have no choice. The upper tier is already supporting the lower tier, quote, you know, although it doesn't exist as such. But realistically, the quote wealthy can already get preferential treatment because they can go to the states mm -hmm. and get private health care or, or work a deal out some other way uh, that has never changed never will change but the concept that people should get preferential treatment is basically based on on the idea of a two-tier system I, I don't like the term two-tier I prefer multi-tier uh, there's the government and then there's many other tiers within the private sector mm -hmm. which means uh, privatizing and making competitive in everything from insurance to health care so that people have a greater degree of choice and are more self-responsible for the cost of their health care. I'm not one of these people that believes that we should be paying for the common cold or just for a doctor's visit or anything like that through any sort of government health care plan. I think that's an individual's responsibility that he can cover out of his own pocket or through some insurance plan. I mean, you know, just like a 20 or $30 office visit type of thing. Uh, those kinds of expenses deplete the resources that we need for the seriously ill, people with heart conditions, cancer. Um, that's why we need a two-tier system at least. And yet there are people who would say in response to that comment that uh, if we discourage people from accessing the medical system, um, that sometimes we find we have delayed diagnosis. That uh, was one of the problems. People are a little hesitant to go with a chest cough or something. Oh, it's just a cold. It's just this. It's just that and they find out down the road that there's something more serious that might have been dealt with earlier. That's one of the arguments against the idea that we shouldn't be encouraging people to seek medical help. Well, a lot of people would say then we're encouraging people to go to the doctor for a lot of, uh, you know, statistically I don't think that's the case. I think statistically you'll find most people aren't in that mm -hmm. situation and statistically most people who are in that situation aren't going to the doctor anyway even now under the current system. I mean, men are notorious for avoiding a doctor's visit until they're practically on the dying bed. I mean, well, there was a campaign a few years ago, I remember the Ministry of Health sent out brochures uh, to every household in Ontario saying these are the symptoms of a cold and flu and if you have these don't bother yeah. going to the doctor and that seemed like a really good idea because from my end of it my concern is you know it's probably nothing but should should I get it checked out particularly if it's a, if it's a kid uh, you know you feel horrible if you don't if you don't deal with it when you should mm -hmm. but if you know you know these are the things to look for if this is what you've got you don't need to come that's really useful and the idea of trying to educate us about some of the basic um, uh, health care issues like that I think is a really smart one because I, I think everybody would agree that, well, when that nobody when that, can afford uh, pointless visits when that Australian uh, flu went around this past winter mm -hmm. if you remember that I got it mm -hmm. and it lasted on me for three months easy and I knew a couple of people around me who carried it around that long as well and uh, I just based my I never went to the doctor about it normally I would have mm -hmm. but I realized you know it was in the papers what was going on these are the symptoms and uh, basically all your doctor can tell you is you gotta live with it yeah 
And so I did, and it went away, and luckily I, I diagnosed myself properly. One of the things that strikes me about the United States as an example of where you have more, a more private-based system, although a lot of people, I guess, have health care coverage through ins private insurance companies to pay for it, but that's an example where you have, uh, I understand that their per capita health spending is quite a bit higher than Canada's is, and yet they've still got uh, among the higher infant mortality rates of, of any mm -hmm. industrialized country in the world. Mm -hmm. You have that paradox where you have that, the haves and the have-nots. Uh, that's the kind of thing that, to me, should be avoided. Although, again, it comes back to a philosophical question about if you can afford to be healthier, should you have the right to be healthier? Well, here's here, let me address that for a moment because one of the one of the comments that's often made when we talk about this in Canada is people will point to the states and say, "Well, there you go, Bob. There's your model in the states, and it doesn't work." And and obviously there are serious problems. There are about 30 million people without adequate health care in the United States, according to the last figures I've got. Um, but that doesn't mean we'd have to follow that path. The, 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 uh, the, the, the suggestion that I put forward, and it's not mine, smarter people than me have talked about this, but the suggestion is that we take the system we have today in Ontario uh, with the funding levels we have today, and all we are doing is adding to the funds available. In other words, we're not cutting anything. We're not saying that we're going to have special hospitals for rich people. Everybody still accesses the same services. They're all there together, but if you need an MRI and you can pay extra, you're going to pay extra. You're going to go to the head of the line, but all of that money goes right back into the MRI budget. And in theory, in theory, um, you're going to end up with so many MRIs that everybody's going to have access in a hurry. Yeah, and apparently there is one. There's a, there's a pilot in Toronto, as I understand. There's one private hospital that's opened up. I remember seeing it on the news within the last year. And Alberta, I believe, has yeah, some of this as well, mm -hmm. uh, where you've got that. And, and that is the argument. Uh, uh, again, my, my concern is that you don't have that buy-in and that eventually you can say that for now, the taxation levels remain where they are and, uh, you know, that uh, there's going to continue to be funding to going to, uh, to broad-based health care. But as time goes on and people, particularly in the environment we're in right now, are crying more for tax cuts and all those kinds of things, to me, you can't count on having that down the road. Uh, one of the things that was sort of ironic, I was reading a letter to the editor last week from a uh, fellow from uh, Manitoba who was talking about the amount of money spent on the wealthy versus the poor for health care in Manitoba. And I don't know if he was right or wrong, but one thing that he said was, he said there's actually more money spent on caring for the poor, but it's because they are a lot less healthy. They get sick a lot mm -hmm. more. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had never really thought about it that way. So he said, if you look at the per capita spending on, uh, on wealthy people for health care versus poor, uh, they don't spend more on the rich. They spend more on the poor. But on the other hand, they're a lot sicker. Uh, this is Left, Right, and Center with uh, Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer. If you'd like to join our discussion, we'd very much like to hear from you. Two telephone numbers you can use, 643-1290. If you're a customer of the Cantel Cellular Network, it's star 1290. And we'll be back to take your calls and discuss our issue more. Two of London's more interesting people with me this morning, Robert Metz and Jeff Schlemmer, our regular panelists here on Left, Right, and Center. Uh, I want to come back to something that one of you said, I don't remember which one, made reference to people traveling to the United States. I think it was, maybe it was you, Bob. People traveling to the United States to seek medical the care. Wealthy, yes, yeah, the wealthy can, can do that now. One of the arguments for a two-tiered system here, or multi-tiered, or whatever you, whatever you prefer, um, is that we are losing, and I don't have the numbers here, but I did a show on this a couple of years ago, and it is in the hundreds of millions of dollars a year that Canadians are spending outside the country on medical care. And one of the big arguments is, why are we allowing this to happen? Why are we forcing these people to leave to take their hundreds of millions of dollars to pay some other medical practitioner in some other country? Well, the reason is because that's the only way they can do it. They can't use their money here in Canada. Is that, Jeff, is that a problem? I mean, is there some, should we maybe prohibit people from leaving the country for medical treatment? 
Well, I don't think it's a problem if they go there to get service because uh, obviously it's a service that's overloaded in Canada as it is. If there's a big long lineup to get some kind of testing or, or some exotic surgery and they can get it done elsewhere, then it just relieves the pressure on the system. The flip side, though, that I think is, a, is an increasing concern in Canada is the brain drain of specialists. And that is that uh, you've got all kinds of, uh, of specialists who've trained for you know, 10, 15 years or whatever uh, and find they can make twice as much money in the United States and off they go. Uh, and uh, again, there's a, there's that paradox that uh, uh, they're spending a lot more for for the care down there in that private system. They're paying the the people a lot more highly. Uh, on the other hand, uh, uh, in Canada, we still heavily subsidize their education, so effectively we're training all these guys to go off and uh, and work elsewhere. Uh, now that may be changing. We're certainly seeing changes where it appears that increasingly uh, people are going to have to be taking out loans that will be raised repaid over a long period for this kind of education as we go to a market rate education for uh, professionals. But uh, that, I think, is a problem, I, I, although I, I don't know. On the other hand, uh, there are a lot of I think of it's a great thing. Uh, like you said, it takes the pressure off. That's what we should be doing right here in this country, is having that other tier to take the pressure off the tier that the, quote, disadvantaged and poor need to, need to use. What about the argument, though, Bob, that you're going to end up with a, a, not just a second I don't like the tier idea either, not just the second level of access, but that all the good people are going to go there, and that it'll only be the second raters who are left with public, public health care. Well, that, that's not necessarily true. It depends on how the whole system is structured. Um, I shared Jeff's concern with, with the so-called brain drain of people going south. We're losing that to the total system now. So, you know, if you're giving me an option of what we have now versus what we could have under a two-tier system, we win every way with a two-tier system. Because no matter, every objection you bring up is worse under the system we have now. Well, what about Jeff's concern, though, that, that the system we might go to might not last? That, that, that under the pressure of, of uh, well, the wealthy... Well, this one won't last, that's for sure. Well, but the wealthy and the well-to-do are going to be less and less interested in paying taxes to support health care for the, for the non-well-to-do. And that somewhere down the line we may find ourselves why, why? with a... They would, their taxes would be incredibly less, the wealthy. They would have a greater interest in helping the poor rather than in contributing to a universal system that's paying for people who could well pay for themselves, especially for routine medical examinations and routine Okay, situations. now, are we talking about two different things, though, here? The proposal I put forward, again, it's not mine, it was just for the sake of discussion, was not that, that the wealthy would pay all of their expenses. It was that for... for waiting lists, places where there are waiting lists that they'd be able to pay to go to the head of the line. That's a little different than what you're talking about. You're talking about they're going to take total responsibility for all their health care. I'm talking about a system wherein everybody still accesses this universal system. But again, if you need an MRI and you got 10 grand, you can get it tomorrow. But the 10 grand goes back in the system. Well, that's going to create a tremendous political problem more than a medical problem. Um, uh, you know, again, and if a doctor's faced with a decision where, where a poorer patient is in worse condition and a richer patient could last longer or wait longer, mm -hmm. what decision is he going to make? Is he going to be going for the, for the dollars or for, or for the poorer patient? You're going to get all kinds of problems. Uh, I don't think that's going to work within that single system don't, you propose. But don't you get yes. that same problem in the system you're proposing? You see, you've got the same thing. The doctor says, i got a patient here who I'm going to make a lot of money well, off of this There's nobody guy. getting ahead of anybody in line in, in, a regular, in a regular situation. Listen, Jim, I don't think we should even have lines. I, I think the problem is we have a, an American Medical Association in the States and a Canadian Medical Association in Canada that work hard to monopolize the area of medicine in terms of how it's practiced, who can practice it, 
um, how many doctors are allowed to go into the marketplace. We should be flooding the marketplace with doctors. That would bring the price down for everyone. Um, what we seem to want is a, is a heavily universal, uh, monopolized, unionized, uh, upper echelon type of expensive medical system. And, and uh, you know, I believe in paying top dollar for good medical care, but I'd like to see that money go directly to the practitioners and people who are developing the thing, not going through a government bureaucracy well, that, you that's know, taken a huge take off the yeah, top. That's changing. It's, it's that, not government, though, that uh, sets what do doctors make, particularly in the States. In the States is where the demand is right now. You talk about a supply and demand system. In Canada, we have flooded the market with doctors. We've got way more doctors than we know what to do with graduating each year, and you know that now they've brought in the new uh Then why uh, aren't prices coming down? Why aren't the costs coming down? Well, Doesn't supply and demand dictate that then that the cost should should drop? We I should think what happy. a Canadian doctor would argue is that the prices are down in the sense that they're paid a lot less than American doctors are. What I don't understand is why doctors are paid so highly in the United States. You know, they've got all kinds of medical schools down there. Because because they're offering a service to people who are willing to pay for it. It's the only reason, Jeff. There's no magic to it. But again, you on, your, on your model, though, that the theory would be what you want to do is to get a lot more doctors into the United States so that their salaries come more into line with Canada. In Canada, now, that new doctors, when they start practicing, can't practice in London. Well, Toronto, they have say, to go out to the, the northern they, communities. They do the same thing in the States as in Canada, like, you know, in terms of that kind of regulation, which is a big problem. But, you know, it's like an, this is an economic argument, basically. You could talk about any, you'd be talking about widgets or VCRs. I mean, the rich get the first crack at everything, okay? They're the first ones to buy the $2,000 VCR until enough of them buy it that the price comes down, and the rest of us can afford the same same technical expertise. Same thing yeah. would happen with MRIs yeah. and, and, and all the other medical uh, marvels that we're inventing these days. Um, if we don't allow the rich the first crack at these things, we'll be waiting in lines forever. I'd rather wait in line for six months to a year than forever. Well, what about the argument that, that, that uh, and we are talking about the, the market value of, of doctors, for example, and both of you guys are probably going to correct me on this or straighten me out on this because I think you both got thoughts and they're not the same. But if we look at the legal profession, for example, here is a profession that on the one hand you can say the, 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 the lawyer that demands $200 an hour he gets the $200 because he's worth $200 an hour, or people would not give it to him. You can make that argument. You can also say, though, that it is such a closed shop that you really don't have the option because that bright young lawyer fresh out of school who'll do it for $100 an hour, he may, he's not up to the job. You're absolutely right, and that's why I was talking about the monopoly that's being created by the, each country's respective medical associations. Um, within that environment, I agree that that doesn't work as well. You have to be in an open and free market. It's like we, we do anything else. Technology is done in a free market. But one of the arguments that the Medical Association makes is that they, one of the things they do very effectively is to maintain the quality of training and the quality of care. Do we necessarily want to go to the cheapest doctor on the block? There's no reason they can't, ma they can't continue to maintain that quality of care. That's an that's a, that's a issue of, of qualifications, basically. I mean, there are a lot of private institutions that create their own standards. It could be in, a, in accounting, in, in the legal firm, in medicine. And if you want to have some assurance of what level of expertise your particular doctor has, you can ask for credentials. Like, what, where, where did you, you know, who sponsors you? What school yeah, but did don't, you go don't to? forget that 50% that, that of, of every graduating medical class is below, you know, is, are the, is the bottom 50%. Half of the doctors who come out of there were in the bottom half of their class. Right, and then th their reputation will precede them uh, after a period of time, but that's the same as it is now under our current system. 
Um, I don't know what point you were getting at with that. Well, you do have this paradox, though, in the legal profession is one I'm more familiar with, obviously, but in the legal profession, there are tons of lawyers. You know, we have flooded the market with lawyers for years. We opened up six law schools back in the early 60s. There was only one before that. Uh, and, uh, and yet, legal costs continue to go up, and the amounts that the top lawyers are able to charge continues to go up, and there is this huge variation between top lawyers and, and everybody else. Well, that only makes sense. They became a top lawyer, obviously, because they're good at whatever it is they do. Their reputation precedes them because people know, gee, this guy wins 90% of his cases. His value keeps going up. So in a way, that presumably exists in the medical system as well. You've got people who are the top graduates. You've got the ones who have, have got all the extra credentials, have gone for all the extra years of specialized training and so on. Presumably, those are the guys who uh, can command top dollar. Now, I guess they're the ones who are the most likely to go off to the states or, or wherever else they can make more money. Uh, and remember, they've only got so much time at their disposal. You've only got so many, quote, top lawyers or top doctors who can perform so many operations in a day. I mean, there is a limited resource there, so how do you apportion that? In a marketplace, prices determine the apportionment of that. Unfortunately, we, we're, we're, we have the socialist mentality that because of that, there's some, some evil or wrong being done to the so-called poor. That's not the case at all. In fact, the way is being paved for them. But uh, sometimes the impatience, like let's face it, if tomorrow some kind of a, a great uh, discovery in medicine came out, everyone would want to have a hold of it right away. But that's not going to percolate through the marketplace until the more rich people get the first crack at it. It's just not going to happen. It's striking to me how we do, we do treat health differently than everything else that you talk about, whether it's widgets or whatever that uh, the markets are dictates and so on, that I don't think people by and large do accept the idea that if you're wealthy you should get the top doctor. And, and it's an interesting uh, difference for me that that's the case. And I cer there's certainly not a politician out there who's brave enough to say that, to say, if you're poor, I'm sorry, you're going to get that doctor who graduated in the back of the line. Well, uh, but, 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 but they're, then they're just being dishonest with you, I think, Jeff. Maybe. I think it's just Because they say that perception. about the lawyers. There's no quite, they, they, right. they stand right up and say, yeah, the rich people get the best lawyers, and there's nobody has any compunction about saying that. But health is politicians Why include. is that? Well, well, that's a good question. Well, Why because, is it different? Because it's so fundamental. Your health is, is your life. And, and, and you know, I, I see no reason why we can't live in a country where no person should have to worry about losing their home and their family and everything they, they had because of a serious health ailment. Mm -hmm. uh, that is a separate situation or a separate uh, issue from having a universal health care system for everyone where everything's free. That's a political convention created to garner votes. And, and, and when people keep saying that we have the greatest health care system, what they're really saying is that we don't have to pay for it. That's what makes it great. Mm. Uh, we don't really know. Uh, and, and, you know, what level of medicine we're getting between one doctor and another, because most of us don't shop around enough to even find out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember there was a Canadian doctor, oh, about 10, 15 years ago. I'm trying to recall his name, but he was going on the circuit, and, and, and uh, on the talk show circuit, and he was on a lot of local talk shows. And I remember hearing him once say that, you know, the average person goes to see a doctor. Your chance is one in three of coming out worse than when you went in, one in three of coming out no different, and one in three are coming out better. Mm -hmm. And this, he honestly believed this. This mm -hmm. was a, a strong belief of his in the whole system and, the, and that you actually take a risk every time you go and get health care. Um, well, and you see the, the, the way medicine is delivered evolving in those kinds of ways. I remember 20 years ago that uh, there was far more surgery and uh, surgical intervention for orthopedic problems, for instance, that it was the deal that if you had a problem with your knee, they whipped you in and did some arthroscopic surgery and blah, blah, blah. Now they don't do that because they found that the arthritis you get after having the surgery is worse usually than, than the problem was in the first place. You see that kind of evolution. But that, that raises another issue, and that is the... Uh, 
I think that we still have a lot of confidence in our health system and in our doctors, and there's good reasons for that. You know, generally they're well, much more effective than they used to be. We've still got one of the best healthcare systems in the world. That aside of, mm -hmm. of all the other problems that we're bringing in, but that was because but, it was a private system up until about you know, 20, 25 we're, years we're, ago. We're moving now to a to a to a position where it's going to be easier to ease into a non-universal system. I'll tell you what I mean by that. Um, there are a number of, of, of uh, places, particularly in the province of Ontario, where the government is mandating changes, where services are moving out of hospitals, just as an example. Mm -hmm. um, things like the specialized clinics that used to be in hospitals. Privatized like, management. Well, things like, things like, you know, clinics for warts and clinics for, for certain socially transmissible diseases and all these kinds of things that traditionally were in hospitals are in many cases now being moved out and they're being moved into, into essentially privately run operations. Now, still fund, still publicly funded. But the step from, from there to a non-fully funded situation is a much smaller step than it would have been 10 years ago. And that continues. Well, I agree. In my area, in Old South London, uh, Dr. Fred Sexton is, is, is leading a whole, I don't know what you'd call it down there, a whole movement to create a major medical center in South London, in the Bortley Village Medical Center. And they're looking at new pr uh, uh, more properties in the area and so on, all sorts of things to, uh, to Im expand upon what they've got now, which is really a multidisciplinary center there. And I was talking to him the other day about it, and he was saying this is really the, this is the way of the future. We're going to see more and more of this. We're going to see... Uh, yeah, I, I believe that, Jim, and I think our politicians are, are playing a two-sided game with us. They are moving toward privatization, not out of any ideological motivation, but out of necessity. They know that has to be done. About three or four years ago, all the health ministers of Canada's provinces met out in, in B.C., and they had this big conference, and uh, the, the announcement came out that they all predicted that Canada's health care system would be bankrupt, technically, by the year 2000, 2001. Mm -hmm. Knowing this in advance, and knowing that the public is not going to react with great favor to cutting back on, on health care uh, accessibility, they are doing it in a sly way. They're slowly privatizing here, there, and everywhere. And it, it, and it is introducing efficiencies. It is saving the taxpayer money, but you're right. I think it's paving the way to go to that next step. And that, that they were aware of this as long as, you know, five and ten years ago, if not longer. The thing I don't understand about uh, the current provincial situation, though, is that uh, apparently it's true that the, the, this government is spending more on health care than any other government ever has. And yet we do hear every day about all kinds of bad problems that have happened in the system and I just don't understand that. Well you also hear the pluses though. I think it, it's it's just you know it's in my business the bad news is news. You know, good news isn't necessarily and, and, and I think that's part of it. That that's yeah. not all of it. Certainly there are people with horror stories to tell. We had a fellow phone this morning, though, and say, I want to make the point that the system is great. He's an, uh, an older fellow, retired guy with some health problems, and, and he said, they've treated me fantastically. I can't say enough good things about it. We've done programs before about health care, and it's generally 50-50. For every horrible horror story, there's somebody that says, no, that's wrong. I was treated very well. I believe the problem is one of demographics in terms of the increasing expense that as our population ages and as our technology improves, oh, yeah. we keep people alive longer, there are more old people to keep alive longer, and as the baby boom ages, that's going to be it. My understanding is that's where the increased costs are coming from. Even though they're working hard or trying to work hard to reduce costs at every individual uh, 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 cost center, that overall the demands, there are more and more demands being put on the system and that's where the great challenge is going to be. How do we, we, we got enough of a problem now that just the first fringe of the baby boomers are starting to move into in certain areas some uh, higher intensity care needs and as they get through their 50s and into their 60s and into their 70s and into their 80s and into their 90s where many of them are going to end up, 
the, the, the thing, the problems we're facing, the cost problems, are just going to be horrendous. And we're not going to be able to deal with it with the kind of universal health care we've got today because it's just too damn expensive. So where do we go? And this is one of the arguments people put, put forward for, again, this privatizing certain aspects of it, but only if the profit from that goes back into the general system. If it stays out there, a lot of people are concerned, Bob, that your idea is not going to work, that we are going to end up with one-third of the baby boom is going to get adequate health care and two-thirds aren't. And they're not going to like that, and they're going to be a big voting block, and that may very well distort the political process down the road. I, I, I'd have to wait. You know, uh, to me, that's an unrealistic expectation because everything else we know about marketplace economics tells us the opposite. And I do understand the, the essential fear that a lot of people have about it because, I mean, you're at the mercy of, of what the government says from day to day. You talk about the baby boom moving along. You know, when, when they started uh, socialized medicine back in the 60s, uh, the expectation was that the tax base would keep growing and then the population of the country would keep growing and we'd be constantly prosperous, not realizing that that was ne not necessarily true and that we've burdened our kids with our future medical expenses, so to speak, and, and that we jeopardized our whole health care system because of that approach. If we had taken the dollars that we spent on just out-and-out -out expenditure and invested it in true insurance, actuarially sound insurance plans and stuff, not one person in this country, even under a government-run system, would be short of health care funds at the end of the day. Um, I think this is an example of tremendous mismanagement for political gain. and 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 messing around with something as fundamental as our health care system. Well, you darn left-wingers, Jeff, that did all of this. <laughs> where, do we go? where do we go from here, though? I mean, well, I guess the first thing is, as far as whether or not the money has been wasted that's been spent in the past, obviously it hasn't been, that it's gone into care. It didn't go in, down a drain. It went to build hospitals. Well, it waste, went to do research. Wasting, it I went to build machines like MRI machines. It went to, to raise the general level of health for the whole community. And one thing that we haven't really talked about is the whole move towards preventative uh, care, and that is trying to... Uh, keep people from getting sick in the first place, trying to get them to give up smoking, trying to get them to eat healthier, trying to do all those kinds of things that, that you know, save tons of money if you can get people to do it. And I think that it is happening. You know, we're seeing moves towards much healthier uh, diets and lifestyles than we ever had in the past. Um, so those are kinds of things as well that will make it affordable. But I'm sort, of, I'm sort of aware that it's not that the population is now shrinking as the baby boom ends. It's just not growing as quickly as it did before. And that uh, the system is an expansionary system. It seems like everything in our society has to be constantly expanding. Certainly business does in order for it to be healthy. The economy does. And healthcare is as well. Um, but at root, I guess the... Uh, it seems to me that we're going to have a system that is somewhat decentralized. We're seeing the little clinics uh, opening up at different corners and stuff. And, and as far as, like, I don't know anything about how it works, except that I know I like it. It's nice to have a clinic to be able to whip your kid down to if they get hurt or whatever. Um, that's been nice. Although at the same time, we have the controversy about closing regional hospitals, hospitals in all the little towns and so on. And I don't know how that all fits together. Uh, in some respects, healthcare seems to be becoming more available. In other respects, it, it, it's less so. I hear about uh, they're closing the regional hospitals because uh, with transportation advances now, we don't have to have a hospital every 30 miles or whatever. But then I think, well, a lot of these hospitals were built in the late 50s, and transportation has not improved at all, as far as I can tell. No, but then. I think the access to, or the, the necessity for hospitals has changed. Again, I had a discussion with a nurse friend of mine the other day, and she was talking about it during her career. It's been about 30 years. Um, the use of hospitals has changed radically. That hospitals used to be almost a hospice for just about any you know, quote, serious illness at all. Uh, you went to the hospital and you stayed there. 
Uh, where today that's not the case. A, a very limited number of people are admitted to hospital for specific problems, specific reasons, all sorts of things done outside of the hospital. And, and her point about the smaller ones was that we built them at a time when we still believed in the hospital uh, paradigm, that, that the hospital was the ultimate center of health. Now we look at the hospital as kind of the, it's almost like the, the it's the place of last resort. In, in many ways, yes. Yeah, what, what, what healthcare needs to do is to prevent people from going there in the first place. So the argument that it's a transportation issue, that you don't need them 30, 30 miles apart, there's a certain advantage to that. But her point was that you really, you don't need them 30 miles apart because you don't need them, period. You need to have these centralized areas, and then in the smaller communities, you need, as you said, Jeff, you need clinics. You need, you need evaluatory, almost triage places yeah, right. set up. So if you are serious enough that you need to access the hospital, the hope is that, that the new system, the system we're moving towards, uh, because you'll be participating in your own health care, your doctor will be much more proactive in trying to identify things in advance and risk factors and so on and so on, that the number of times you're going to have to actually go into that hospital is going to diminish radically. And, and, and that overall... Statistically, you're not going to lose much if you've got to drive an extra 30 miles when you do have to go into the hospital. Yeah, and it's striking to me that uh, it's these things that you sort of never question until they come along, but the idea of a hospital model, I gather, had only been around for about a century prior mm -hmm. to that. And mm -hmm. Prior to that, healthcare was at home. You know, uh, even as a kid, I can remember uh, doctors uh, doing, uh, what, what do you call them, home visits, home calls? Yeah, uh, house yeah. calls. House calls, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember the word. Yeah, yeah, and that tells you something right there. We have to pause for a second and make a little house call of our own, but we'll be back more left, right, and center right here on Talk of the uh, the news report today that Robert Young passed away yesterday, um, and I said to, to the guys off the air that you, you can kind of tell what generation you're in, whether you remember him from Father Knows Best or Marcus Welby, but he was kind of the, uh, and Marcus Welby, he was kind of the... Well, that was a long time ago, a lot of people were saying, well, that too, who's yeah, Marcus, yeah, who's Marcus <laughs> Welby? Yeah, you're right. Um, he was kind of the traditional model of, of the caring, competent, almost omnipotent family doctor. You went to see Dr. Welby. And, and he just, even if you were sick, he just made you feel so good that you were so confident that anything that could be done would be done, and that'd be the end of it. I grew up with a doctor, and many people in London may know Bill Fraser, a well-known London doctor, who was, who was Marcus Welby. Uh, That's who he was. And it was the same thing. You went to Dr. Fraser, and you walked through the door, and you just kind of relaxed because he knew everything. He was this omnipotent medical figure, and he'd take care of you. Uh, that has changed radically over the years. There are still some Dr. Welby's out there. But my understanding is, and certainly my present doctor, is much more, uh, much less of a godlike figure by his choice. He involves me an awful lot more in, in my treatment than, than in the old days you ever got. Um, and I understand that many, many doctors are moving in that direction. Bob, do you think that makes it more likely that these kinds of doctors, these more involved doctors, are going to be willing to embrace the kind of change you're talking about? I mean, they seem to be a little more entrepreneurial in, in, that, in a health sense. I would like to hope so, and I, th I think you're seeing a general trend in, in doctors in general putting more of the responsibility of health care on the individual themselves, particularly through education. There's more doctor shows around now on radios, yeah. for example, yeah. that, that I learned more from Dr. Merck and listened to him in, a, in an hour than I was ever taught in school or yeah. learned anywhere else from my, my own doctors. Um, I certainly see that as, as a positive trend in terms of people being able to take more of the act, if not financial, the, the actual acting out of taking care of their own, uh, own medicine. I'm very concerned about an opposite trend that's occurring today, and that, again, is a monopolization of certain alt alternate health care uh, um, delivery systems, be it 
holistic or uh, some of the other, you know, they're even starting to regulate and, and control simple herbs mm -hmm. and, and putting them in the same classification with drugs like marijuana, for example. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? I mean, well, in, you know, in one sense, the government doesn't want you to take care of yourself. Yeah, but you know what's going on with the, with the herbs. The problem there is, at least the government's explanation of the problem, is that here we have some very powerful chemicals, some very powerful drugs. Uh, and we can't say, well, because it's a herb and it's natural, that it's not powerful. Many of them are still very powerful. Traditional... But that's why people use them. Exactly. But we are in a society that's conditioned to potency. We're conditioned to having controlled amounts of these substances that we use to medicate ourselves. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but the government's fear is that with a lot of the herbs and so on, that they were, that they were being misused. People who were not qualified to dispense them, or people who were self-medicating, that might have been doing themselves more harm than good. That's the government's argument. Now... A lot of people don't believe that. People are doing that with prescription drugs. People are doing that in the regular healthcare um, sector. I can't see that as being a differentiation. I think that's just the government making up some kind of excuse to control another sector where they see a profit being made by the private sector and they somehow think they can, they can make money off of that. Um, I think it's a backward step in many ways. It brings me to the point, you know, you were talking about having a two-tier system and talking about the profits in the private part of the system being okay as long as those profits went back into the particular practice mm -hmm. or whatever. I, I can't agree with you there because that would require a, a, some sort of government control on the profit. Uh, I think profit is something that doctors would put into capital and, and invest in the future and or, and or take as, you know, the money that they earned for what they do. If there's a lot of profit in something and, uh, and other people in the sector see it, you're going to get more people entering that sector. Controlling the profits is going to limit, again, the number of doctors or practitioners in a certain field. So if I'm a uh, 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 lower middle class guy like I am, modest income, uh, modest savings, modest home, and I get sick in Ontario today, um, I'm going to get access to as good quality treatment as anybody in Ontario is going to get. Now, I won't get as good quality treatment as somebody maybe goes to the state. Maybe not quality, but in terms of speed and whatnot. Um, so, from my perspective today, a very personal perspective, the system today is not all that bad, because I know I've got as good a chance as anybody of, go of benefiting from the system. Under your system, though, um, I don't have that anymore, even if I buy medical coverage, even if I medic buy medical insurance, because even there, maybe I can't afford to buy the Cadillac plan. I've got to buy the Chevrolet plan, because I just can't afford any more than that. Now, granted, that's the decision I've made. But at the end of the day, the guy with the Cadillac plan, he's ahead of me. H how do I benefit? I mean, why would I support that system? Why would I well, support moving to that change? Beca because to support the system in general. Because if you go to a system where everybody's in the Cadillac plan, pretty soon the Cadillac won't be there anymore. It'll get worn out pretty quick. Well, maybe we're all in the uh, Chevrolet plan, though, but we're all still in the same boat. Well, again, now you're lowering the, now you're lowering, quote, the standard and saying that as long as we're all equal, this reminds me of that debate we had about Cuba, uh, as long as everyone's equally poor, then we're all equally happy. No, but what I'm saying is if, if, if we're all on a Chevrolet plan, and the Chevrolet plan is as high as I'm going to go even under the new plan, why would I support a new one? Well, to, to relieve the demand on the Chevrolet plan so that the other people who can't afford to go to the uh, better plan are not in your way, or they go to the states or something, and then it relieves the lineup. Again, I don't think we should be having lineups. I think that's another another issue, but uh, that would be my answer to that. I'd, I'd, it, it's There's only so many doctors, and there's only so many patients. And to me, 
whether you are in a lineup or whether you are first in line because of the money you have, they're both two different ways of looking at how we decide to portion out the preference that we're giving to people. Um, I, I think a doctor could easily be held liable under many many laws for giving preference to uh, a not not too ill patient over a person who's obviously in dire need of instant medical care. And I think uh, that that's a situation that exists both in Canada and the state. Jeff, you're uh, I've just appointed you the new medical czar for the province of Ontario. Uh, knowing, uh -oh. your, knowing your, knowing your, knowing your, oh my God, <laughs> knowing your compassionate nature. Uh, Where'd you get that authority? Well, <laughs> for this program only. Knowing your compassionate nature, I'm going to make you the medical czar of Ontario. I'm going to say, Jeff, you know, within reasonable cost constraints, uh, we're not going to quibble about a few bucks, but basically, you can't go and spend the world. Uh, but I want you to fix the system. I want you to make it better than it is today. What would you do? Well, I guess the first thing I would do is suggest that uh, repair of the health care system or uh, maintenance of the health care system should be in the hands of a doctor rather than a veterinarian. That uh, Dr. Sinclair, who's the uh, head of the Health Services Restructuring Committee, is a veterinarian. And I don't know if it's just optics or what, but to me that's a very strange thing to do. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would recognize that there's a lot of expertise that's needed. And, uh, but I would also say it's not just medical expertise, that there's also uh, big changes in the way that things get done. There's all kinds of, uh, of need for people with expertise in operating systems, and they're extremely complicated systems that need to be brought in. But I, 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 it's not something where I'd throw money at it, but uh, what I see right now is uh, a lot of new edifices, grand new bricks and mortar uh, edifices being built, new Victoria Hospital and all this stuff, while we're closing down uh, hospitals all over the place. And I don't think that that's necessarily the solution. I, I don't think that having grand fancy buildings is a, is a replacement for having staff. But the government tells us that ultimately it's cheaper to do that now, to build the facilities for the next half century, build them now, interest rates are low, we know we need them, we're shutting down the inefficient ones, we're building new efficient ones, and when we're done with this little spade of building, it's straight ahead, till, straight on till dawn. Yeah, but I just can't get over the fact that it's not doctors who are saying that it's a, it's a you know, well, school I, teacher I, I, and I, I a veterinarian. I think a doctor should be an expert in medicine, not in administration and economics. Well, I've acknowledged uh, that, but on the other hand, they're the guys who know what, what, what's coming down the road as far as keeping us healthy, and I guess within the system as it stands right now, we, we get into this convention about everything's broken, blah, 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 it's all got to go through mass of change, sort of the John Snowblen thing, you know, you've got to provoke a crisis to have major change. I don't buy that either, and I look at our state of health care today, and our chances of staying alive and getting over major illnesses and all that is way better than it's ever been. I think that, that we've come a huge long way in, in health care, and to say that there has to be this massive restructuring, all of a sudden one well, day remember, somebody noticed that the system was totally chaotic and, and broken, is just wrong. It's a system that's complicated and has evolved very effectively. Well, I think, you know, it's a little bit like jumping off a cliff. Until you hit the bottom, you're okay. I mean, really. And you can say that the system is working well, even when you're three-quarters way down the cliff, but you do see the end coming. But we're not and going down a cliff in health care in Ontario. Well, well, that's what the First Minister said. Our whole health care system would be bankrupt by the year 2000. Let's say. Let's use that as a year. But again, that I don't trust a politician who wants to be able to put his name on a bunch of new buildings. What I trust is somebody who's dedicated to saving lives and is going to say, this is what you've oh, got to be doing to keep things going. And they've, I agree they've been with been very you. successful so far. <laughs> <laughs> if, that's, if that's your choice you're giving me, I agree with you wholeheartedly. In a rare moment of unanimity here, we will pause with more Left, Right and Center coming your way. So I'm not sure that we have uh, agreed or even disagreed vehemently about anything this morning, but uh, let me ask one final question of both our guests. Are we going to see major changes in our medical system in the next few years, and will they be good or bad? Bob? Uh, yes, and uh, yes and yes. <laughs> They're going to be good and bad, some. 
I, I guess it depends who you are in the system now. The people who feel that they're benefiting the most may feel they're losing out. Some people who think they're losing out now may feel they've recouped something. Uh, that's a difficult shot to call at best. Jeff, uh, your answer. I think that uh, we'll continue to, to sort of lurch along one way or another, and I think that we, by and large, are headed in the right direction, uh, I think, because they say that things have gotten a lot better. But we'll continue having a system that is very different. That is, that uh, for all kinds of different things, whether it's uh, cosmetic surgery as an example, or whether it's drugs or whatever, there's still huge differences between rich and poor. But for when it comes down to life and death, hopefully we've all got the same level of health care. I think that's what we would all like to see happen. Uh, how we get there is uh, open for discussion, and that's what this program is about, discussion. If you have a topic that you'd like to have addressed by uh, Bob and Jeff on an upcoming edition of Left, Right, and Center, you're always welcome to contact us here. You can call me at the station. Uh, you can fax us. we got the new uh, email address, to chapman at cjbk.com. So if there's an issue you'd like to hear discussed by our two uh, representatives of the left and the right, on an upcoming edition of Left, Right, and Center, we'd be pleased to hear from you. Now, Jeff, you're going to be away for a couple of weeks. I am. And there'll be someone in your stead, and we'll look forward to whoever the guest is. Yeah. And uh, we'll have some fun. And you have some fun, too. I'll be listening. Now, are you holidaying for the full, full three weeks? No, I've got a trial next week, so I can't make it uh, then. And okay. uh, a couple of weeks after that, in holiday up at the home. Pinery. So. All right. Okay, yeah. so if you're looking for any legal advice and you happen to be hanging out of a tree at the Pinery, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff will be up there somewhere. Uh, tomorrow on the program, uh, oh, we got a whole bunch of stuff. You know us. A ton of stuff. So join me. Some good guests. We'll be doing some open phones too.